0: Thanks team, great job this morning. Thank you as well, Michelle. I need that prayer this morning because we're finishing up this series and we're getting to the place where the rubber hits the road. So what I want to share with you this morning is not theology, it's not about those questions of identity and philosophy, it's actually how do you live as a follower of Jesus? And that's a question that actually is a matter of action rather than of thought or intention. It's something that hopefully, and I think I have, I've been learning how to live as I've followed Jesus in my life, and I want to encourage you and share with you some of those lessons. So I don't know if you've ever thought this, but um, have you ever wished that life had an undo button? (laughs) Maybe, maybe you've said something. I can think of something that I said yesterday that I wish I could undo. I can actually still remember things when I was twelve that I wish I could take back. Um, things I did as a teenager. I'm not going to go into that, but I had a fun teenage life. <laughs> not so fun, actually. Things I have done or have not done as a husband. Um, Beck can probably give you a list of them better than I can, but there are things I wish I had done differently there. You may find it hard to believe, but sometimes I get frustrated or angry, and um, I'm not always the most patient dad, and I wish sometimes that I could take back some of that heat that comes when my kids are being frustrating. If I choose to, I can think of lots of things that I would like to do differently and wish I could go back and change. But I can't change them. I've said sorry for them, I've learned from them, but I can't actually go back and change them. None of us can. Um, How about you? (laughs) I, I sense that you're probably the same, that there are things that you're thinking of right now. Maybe you're not even hearing what I'm saying because you're thinking about those things that you wish you could go back and undo things that you shouldn't have done, things that actually have no excuse. I think we're better at things that we think have a reason or an excuse, but sometimes there's just things that have no excuse. It's like, no, that was not good. I shouldn't have done that. They've caused real harm. It's like I didn't realise how much pain that would cause. And you can't undo them. So um, let me ask you as we start out this morning, what do you do about those things? Those mistakes or failures that just sit with you, what do you do about them? The reason I'm asking this question is not um, because it's a good thought exercise, it's not to make you feel guilty, it's because this is the question. As those who have our identity in Christ, As those who live in a broken world, as those who belong to the kingdom of God but live in the kingdom of this world, this is the question. We live at that intersection, that interface between God's calling and the reality of the world and we're supposed to live there. How do we do it? What do you do about those things that are not right, that you can't change? How do you live there? Some of the things in this world are deeply painfully wrong, and sometimes it threatens to overwhelm you. I don't know if you've ever got to that space, but where the weight of the world and the things that are wrong mounts up on you. What do you do with that when there's no undo button, when there's no way of making things right? We're supposed to live in the kingdom of God and live in the kingdom of this world. How can you do both? Let me tell you, I've thought about this a lot and wrestled with it. There are essentially only two options. First option, a traditional way, is power. You try and exert your vision of the world upon the world. Even if that's a small part of the world. Uh, Michael and I were reflecting on it this week, we had a phone call. In this world, there's a pattern that keeps repeating itself. Today's revolutionary becomes tomorrow's dictator. Um, The powerless and the marginalized become like the powerful that they're trying to overthrow. They use power and violence to overthrow them and then become exactly the same. History is this cycle that repeats itself of oppression, revolution, overcorrection, which leads to more oppression which leads to another revolution. That's the cycle. Or in the words of Jesus, those who live by the sword, no matter how just their cause, will die by the sword. The way of power only leads to more violence and more hate. So let's talk about the other way. Jesus said there is another way. He talked differently about revolution, and he taught us to do the same. Being in the world, but not of the world, like Jesus, means avoiding the cycle of retribution. He said, choose a different path. Jesus was a revolutionary. Make no mistakes about that. He came to change the world. But his message <coughs> to the marginalized and the oppressed was this, repent, repent you marginalised and oppressed, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He said, forgive whatever grievance you have against someone else. He said, love your enemy and pray for those who are persecuting you. He didn't say that to those who were in power, who didn't have anything to forgive. He said that to the marginalised, to the lowest of the low, to those who had very real reasons to hate their enemy. He said, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. He was a revolutionary who led a revolution of peace that overthrew the hearts of people, the marginalised and those in power. Let Let me be clear, he had no patience for unjust systems. He was highly critical of the systems that led to oppression, yet he refused to use power as his method for overthrowing them. He chose the way of forgiveness and peace. He chose the costly way of grace. And as his followers, he said, that's your way too. If you want to be in my kingdom, if you want to follow me, you choose the way of forgiveness and grace. That is the way you live in the world. That is the way you change the world. Probably, um, probably the most radical thing about the life and teaching of Jesus was that he faced up to the brokenness of the world but brought change through love rather than imposition. Um, The most important thing that we can do is learn the same. So let me show you a little bit what that's like. It's easier said than done. Um, But let me, the best I can, teach you what it looks like to live as a people of forgiveness in a broken world. Uh, as you come to realise, probably, it starts with identity. <laughs> Just pause for a second. We need some peace out in our creche this morning. <laughs> Hopefully not forgiveness, but we'll see. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not out there this morning. <laughs> Hopefully no one in Croatia is watching this. <laughs> um, Living as a people of forgiveness, loving instead of using power to overthrow, starts with identity. In Christ, we have an identity that can't be shaken. That's the starting point. When you have to fight for your identity, that's the only option that you've got. But Jesus says, you have an identity that cannot be shaken, that is independent of your standing in this world. So you are free you have an identity that can't be shaken, so you are free to live in grace. Um, this is what he said in Luke. He said, Don't be afraid, little flock, for the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not, never fail. When no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because of our unshakable identity in Christ, we do not need to be afraid, little flock. We can live with our heart set on the kingdom. As I um, kind of reminded you in week two of this series, we are what we love, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, because of your identity, choose to love the kingdom and pay whatever cost it takes to follow that kingdom. That's why um, Christian faith is less about what happens in your head, Um, That's important too, but it's more about what happens in your heart. It's about what you set your heart on. It's about having desires and a will that is shaped by knowing and loving Jesus. So to be a Christian is to say, I want to have my heart shaped on the example of Jesus Christ. I want to love the things that he loved and not be attached to the things that he was attached, wasn't attached to. In practice, it looks like giving up treasure, and it looks like service. That's the language that Jesus used to talk about the kingdom. If you want to know if you're in the kingdom, look at whether you're serving. Look at whether your treasure is the things of this earth or the things of his kingdom. He said to his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, so the rulers of this world, lord are over them and their high officials exercise authority over them not so with you instead whoever wants to become great must become your servant whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many so the question that i've been thinking through as i've prepared this message is why is service so great Why do we need to give up treasure? What is it about those things that reflect the kingdom of God? It's not because God wants us to deprive ourselves. That's the the funny thing about Christian faith. Jesus spent a lot of time celebrating, partying, eating, drinking, enjoying life, and we're called to do the same. Our faith isn't saying that if you just give up everything that is good... Then you can be holy. We're not Buddhists. (laughs) We say life is given to us to enjoy, and part of the goodness of God is that it gives us good things to enjoy. But alongside that, we serve and we give. And we do that because that is the price of forgiveness. If you are to forgive, it means cost. It means putting your needs below someone else's and it means giving up your right to certain things. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. Forgiveness always costs because um, forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness doesn't say what you have done doesn't matter. What forgiveness says is um, we talk about truth and love Forgiveness says, the truth is that you have caused harm. You have done damage. By right, the damage that you have done to me, I deserve to take back upon you in retribution. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And even then, even if I take that back, it still doesn't pay for the fact that you have wronged me. Forgiveness says, I have the right to that and I choose to let it go. I choose to pay the cost for that myself. I choose not to exercise my right. I give up my right on you, just as God has given up his right to take retribution upon me and paid the cost himself. Forgiveness always costs. But don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Forgiveness is the only way to break the cycle of violence in this world. There are only two options, violence or forgiveness. Trouble with violence is it always creates more violence. And the only way into the kingdom of God is forgiveness and costly grace. That's it. Not eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Not escalating beyond that even. Not paying back seven times what someone has done to us. But instead, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. There's no ifs and buts about it. If you belong to God's kingdom, you must forgive. Jesus goes on to say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others what you would have them do to you. He said, that sums up the whole law of God. That is how we are to live. In the kingdom of Jesus, the oppressed must forgive and the powerful must repent and none of us is 100% one or the other. We are both powerful, and oppressed. We must forgive and we must repent. That is the only way to live in Jesus' kingdom. So, Christian maturity is about learning how to live that out day by day. How do we forgive? How do we repent day by day and live lives that are shaped around the kingdom of God and the life that comes out of that? It's about kind of, um, I love this analogy. Uh, N.T. Wright talked about um, shaping your habits so that forgiveness becomes a reflex. I love that. That's where Jesus wants to get us to, where, where our natural instinct is not to live according to the pattern of this world, but to live according to the kingdom of God. Um, the way that Jesus talked about it too is that it's like becoming children, but in the right way. So that makes sense. All right. Paul talks about it a lot. He says in the book of Romans. So he, in the book of Romans, first half works through this great story of salvation, how it fits together, what God has done in saving His people, and then in chapter twelve it flips over, and goes, given all of this, and this is what he said. He says, therefore. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the good renewing of the mind that we're talking about then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So the first thing Paul talks about is living in line with the pattern of Jesus. Following the pattern of forgiveness. When you're able to do that, you'll work out the rest. So the renewing of your mind is having your mind set on the way of life that Jesus lived, following that pattern. And then he goes on to talk about what that looks like in practice. He says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Maybe it should say, do not become conceited. (laughs) Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will reply, repay, says the Lord. There's, um, there's a lot in there. Uh, what I'd actually love you to do, uh, if you can do this, I promise you, oh no, I don't. I promise you four weeks or I'm not going to preach if you can do this. (laughs) Um, I'd love you to go away and read and reread that chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 12. Read it in a spirit of openness to God to say, what do you want to teach me in this passage? If you do that, it will be far more effective than just sitting here and listening to me. I'm not going to stop speaking. (laughs) Because <laughs> I think there is some important things I have to say that may encourage you. But better than that, reflect on this life that Paul is talking about and pray through it and ask God, what is it that you're calling me to focus on? What do I need to listen to in this? How can I live in accordance with the pattern of Jesus? If you'd ask that question, God, what are you saying to me in this? And then go and do it that's far more effective than anything else. It's partly why we have small groups too, just to put in a plug for small groups, is to listen together to what God is saying and then encourage one another to actually put it into practice. Because as I stand up here, I can't ask each and every one of you what God's saying to you in this. But we're called to encourage one another daily. Anyway, there's so much in there. I just want to share some of my wisdom, and this is probably... Yeah, this is coming from my experience of following Jesus. I think I can probably boil this down to a few things. To be humble, to be kind, to be generous, and to seek peace. If we can do that, we are 95% of the way towards living out God's kingdom. It's not very difficult. And it's It's not very difficult to say. (laughs) It is very different to how we're naturally wired. For me, um, being humble, kind, generous, and making peace means a few simple things, a few simple practices. Like thinking the best of others and their motivations, not being too arrogant about my own motivations. (laughs) Recognizing that sometimes I'm not as uh, holy as I think I am. Thinking that maybe someone's having a bad day and the offense that they cause me isn't as intended or as just, or my offense isn't as justified as I think. Um, particularly when you're driving on the road. <laughs> if, uh, if this is a problem for you, you know who you are where you're sure that that person has just cut in front of you just because they wanted to spite you. No, they haven't. They might just be having a bad day or making a mistake. One of the things I've learned is to not expect that people will notice the good that I do and to do it anyway because it's good. To go and do it not because I get noticed but simply as an act of following Jesus and having joy at being in his kingdom I've learnt mainly from Neil actually, sorry to embarrass you Neil, how to be generous and cultivate a generous spirit that likes to bless other people um, I try and buy Neil, Neil a coffee see, see how you go it's very hard work because <laughs> his default is to bless other people um, I've learned that that generosity, you can practice it, but it actually flows out of thankfulness. It flows out of a thankfulness for the simple things that God has given us. Remembering and noticing God's blessing on us. Simple things like sunshine, simple food, just being alive so quickly we forget those things and we feel like we have to have more and more and more. This is where you don't want to be like kids. (laughs) Jesus said, be like children. Children so often focus on what they don't have. My kids do anyway, I don't know about yours. (laughs) I've learned not to place too high expectations on what people need to do, including myself. To recognize that as human beings, we don't always hit what we want to. We actually need to be a bit gracious with one another and with ourselves and go, we make mistakes and we fall short of what we're aiming for. Uh, I've learned not to jump on outrage. I've tried not to divide the world up into villain and hero. I don't think there's such a thing. In this world that is increasingly polarised, we love having a villain and we love having a hero and we'll argue over who's who and then once we've decided, we will unconditionally praise the hero and viciously attack the villain. I know I'm both. I know every single person in this world is both. So I try and avoid social media (laughs) as much as possible. I try not to ask those questions, who's right and who's wrong. I try and ask the questions of what do we need to learn here? How can we bless and be kind in this situation? I've learned to value margin. That's partly what downtime coming up is about. That unless you have some margin in your life, you can't bless anyone. You're too busy to even notice where God is at work. Um, I love that God calls his people to live simple, godly lives. What that means is not boring lives, it means lives where you are living within some kind of margin so that you can be attentive to where God is blessing you, where God's at work, where you can serve and give and be a blessing to others. There is only one person in charge of your life and that's you. And a big part of Christian maturity is learning how to live in a rhythm of working hard but also having some margin and resting in God and not trying to get more and more and more shoved into your life. I'm not sure if that's hitting home for anyone, but it's a really important lesson. I've learned how to enjoy unexpected blessing and just receive things thankfully. That's a really hard thing to do, to just unconditionally receive blessing from people or kindness without trying to repay it or anything like that, just to same. Thanks, that is a real blessing. I've learned to be wary of unhealthy dependencies. This is probably where the motivation part comes in. It's really easy in life to create unhelpful cycles where people are dependent on us and we're not actually helping them to grow and become the person that they're meant to be. And that dependency also makes us feel better about ourselves, whether we're like, we get to be the hero and get to have it all together. I'm not here to be someone's rescuer. Jesus is their rescuer. My job is to help sometimes and to point them towards Jesus and help them to grow, to be mature in him so that they don't need to be dependent on me. That's a hard one for some of us. I've also learned to get involved with people even if you're scared of dependency. (laughs) Sometimes you just need to get involved in the mess and work it out as you go along. All of that comes from a knowledge that I have an identity in Christ that is so certain and so rich that it allows me to make space and serves. It allows me to make mistakes. It allows me to go into situations where I don't know the answer and trust that By the power and the Spirit of God, He will teach me and give me what I need. That's what we're called to do as Christians, to step into the gap, to step into this world, to bring peace and reconciliation. And the last thing I've learned is to love having this identity and living in this space because it means walking with Jesus, whether I'm serving, whether I'm being persecuted or whether I'm enjoying unexpected blessing. That's fantastic. Um, There's a quote that sits on my desk that probably sums up some of this. It says, um, be kind, work hard. I figure if we can do that, we're on a long way to achieving the kingdom of God. Um, Joe Hutch isn't here this morning, but he has a saying, I'm not going to quote him exactly. (laughs) He says, uh, love Jesus and don't be a jerk. (laughs) And I love that description of the Christian faith. That's what it means to live out of forgiveness. It's costly, pay the cost. Um, The kids are coming back in, but I just want to finish with a story. Um, It's a story that happened on October 2nd, 2006. You may have heard of this story. It happened in a place called... West Nickel Mines, which is in um, Lancaster County in Pennsylvania. On that day, um, a guy by the name of Charles Roberts um, entered into an Amish school, took hostage 10 Amish girls, shot eight, and then um, turned the gun upon himself. Five of those girls died and uh, three of them were critically injured. On the day of the shooting, a grandfather of one of the girls and a part of the Amish community went and visited the mother and the wife of the gunman. He went to them and offered forgiveness. Um, He's quoted as saying, we must not think evil of this man. He had had a mother and a wife and a soul and now he's standing before a just God. He said to his community, I don't think there's anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive. And not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss in in that way, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. The next day, every member of a family who was affected by that incident went and offered forgiveness to the mother and the widow of the gunman. They set up a charity to help the family of the widow of that gunman who had now lost their sole income provider. It's incredible forgiveness. There's a book about it, there's a documentary, but this community practiced forgiveness Someone said of their response, it wasn't automatic. It definitely wasn't easy. But for years, the Amish had been a community that had anchored themselves on forgiveness. And it was their natural response. When someone harms you, you go and seek to reconcile and forgive. And that's what they've done, not cheaply either. It wasn't just a... um, it wasn't about suppressing anger or grief. They, they grieved and they were angry, but they maintained relationship along a very long time. What they did with their um, grief and their anger is the same thing that the people of God have done for years with their grief and anger. They brought it to God in prayer. They prayed to God. And brought their hurt to him, please do the same. If if you want to know how to actually do this for real, not to just say it, but actually do it when you're hurt, when you're wronged. The thing that you need to do is to bring your hurt and your anger to God. Bring your fears and your selfishness to God. Bring your dreams and your gifts to God. And ask Jesus to teach you his ways with those things. So, as I finish up, let me ask you this question Who do you need to forgive? What do you need to repent of? How can you serve? Don't be afraid, little flock. Your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Work hard, be kind. And more than anything else in life, aspire to forgive. Aspire to do great acts of forgiveness, like that Amish community did as well. Make your legacy of your life, not the things that you accumulate, but the way that you have loved and forgive. And I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have defeated the cycle of violence in this world. We thank you that you have set us free from that, that in you we stand forgiven and we stand redeemed and we have an identity in you that isn't based on anything that's going on around us. Lord, forgive us, we pray. Forgive us for seeking to find our identity in other things. Forgive us for treating others in a way that isn't the same as you have treated us. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd grow us into your mature adult children, that you would teach us your ways of grace and love and that we would leave a legacy of forgiveness and bringing your kingdom to bear upon this world. Amen.